Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Reverend Chris Jemerson. I'm the Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I welcome each one of you here today. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us this morning by turning to the folks around you. It is also a tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our service by lighting a chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. So please join me in saying our words for lighting the chalice, which are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship this morning is from William F. Schultz. Come into this place of peace and let its silence Heal your spirit. Come into this place of memory and let its history warm your soul. Come into this place of prophecy and power and let its vision change your heart. Unitarian Universalism is a faith without creed. There's no set of standard beliefs that we all have to sign on to and say that we agree with. So sometimes people ask us, well, if you don't share a set of beliefs, what holds you together? Well, we have some principles and some values that hold us together, and out of those values arose our mission. It's our common purpose. We put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading is by Thich Nhat Hanh. Let us be at peace with our bodies and our minds. Let us return to ourselves and become holy ourselves. Let us be aware of the source of being, common to us all and to all living things. Evoking the presence of the great compassion, let us fill our hearts with our own compassion towards ourselves and towards all living beings. Let us pray that we ourselves cease to be the cause of suffering to each other. With humility, with awareness of the existence of life and of the sufferings that are going on around us, let us practice the establishment of peace in our hearts and on earth. Amen. This is the time in our service where we breathe together. Breathing together. Feeling one another's loving presence around us. We follow our breath to that deeper place inside, that source of wisdom, that spark of the divine within each of us. And dwelling in that place of great wisdom and great love, we send out our love to Meg and Kaya. Breathing together, we enter a time of silence together, 
remembering that the sounds of small children and human sounds are a part of the sacred silence in this congregation. Breathing together, let us enter that silence together. I invite you now to light candles in our window, candles of sorrow, joy, remembrance, hope. Several years ago, I was volunteering with a nonprofit organization that assists the elderly and the disabled. Part of what I did was to visit an elderly African-American woman who was confined to Austin State Hospital because she had end-stage kidney failure and progressive dementia, and she didn't have the resources for private care. She had survived incredible challenges, including outright racial oppression during a long life in New Orleans, ending up in Austin because of Hurricane Katrina. When I would go to visit her, I would go knowing that the brokenness wasn't going to get fixed. She wasn't going to get better. Her present and her future were defined by uncertainty. And so often when I would visit her, all that could be done for her had already been done, and everything that she and I needed to say to each other we had already said, and so the only comfort I could provide was just to sit with her, just to be together in the silence. And every once in a while, she would suddenly look at me with this fire in her eyes and a smile on her face and the quiet strength and loving character that were her essence would shine through the dementia. I feel so lucky to have gotten to hold even that small part of her story. Now, this was a time period that was also challenging and very uncertain for me for a number of reasons, and I only later realized that those visits had become a time of calmness, love, and a paradoxical sense of stability for me. What I came to realize is that the really transformative presence in those visits was her. I was blessed so much more than I could ever do for her. My heart broke a little each time, yet with each break it seemed to expand a little and the capacity for love grew. My ability to embrace uncertainty and yet get into the present moment expanded. This morning we are missing a calm and compassionate presence among us. Our senior minister, Reverend Meg Barnhouse, as I mentioned earlier, has had to go out on sabbatical so she can heal from that infection that developed in her hip implant. If you happen to be visiting with us for the first time or just started visiting recently and haven't yet got to experience what Meg is like, I can tell you that she exudes this presence that is filled with calmness and kindness So understandably, knowing what Meg is going through and being without our spiritual leader's presence for a while can be worrisome and upsetting for folks. I want you to know that that is absolutely normal. 
If, as a participant in this religious community, you're experiencing feelings of worry or stress or even a sense of loss, that is perfectly natural. When something like this happens, it destroys our illusion of certainty. We're reminded that despite our best laid plans and our comforting routines, we don't have complete control over the events of our lives. Now, I don't mean that we should stop planning or that there's no value in our routines, but we just have to stop sometimes and realize that our future, indeed, even the next moment, is uncertain for each of us. Our agency lies, then, not in having complete control over the events of our lives, but in how we respond to those events. By embracing that uncertainty, we can be better able to adapt our plans and adjust our routines when the inevitable unexpected erupts into our lives, and it will. In fact, there's a religious worldview known as process theology that sees in this uncertainty a divine process that contains all of the creative complexity that drives the continuous unfolding of our universe. Through this very uncertainty, this divine process also offers up to each of us the creative possibilities from which we may choose in each moment of our own continuously unfolding lives. From this point of view, getting intentional about embracing uncertainty and living fully in each present moment becomes a spiritual practice or discipline. I think that though no one would wish to have to go through such an extended recovery, by choosing to take the time she needs to fully heal, by accepting the choices before her and making the very best choice she could from among them, Meg has modeled this very spiritual discipline for us. Now, back to when I was visiting my friend in the state hospital, when I first started going, one of the big challenges I had is I wanted to be able to do something to help her. That's a natural human response to such a situation also. It's natural to want to do something to help people that we care about when they're in need. I suspect also, though, that getting busy doing something can be another way that we try to establish a veneer of control when faced with uncertainty. I know it is for me personally. And yet, as I mentioned Really, all that could be done for her had already been done, and so all that I could really do was just to be with her, to be present in a calm and compassionate way. And to do that, I had to love her. I had to open my heart and allow it to risk being broken. Now, Meg's situation is quite different and much brighter in the long run. Still, I'm feeling that tug again, that need to get busy doing something. And I'm hearing that from folks here in the church also. And again, that is completely natural. And at some point, Meg and Kaya may even let us know if there are helpful things that folks can do. I know they've already told me that your words of support and encouragement in cards, email messages, and on Facebook have lifted their spirits and given them fortitude. It might not surprise you to hear that I think Meg holds the welfare of this church and its people in her thoughts and concerns more than anything else in her world. 
Knowing that then, one thing we can do is to make it such that Meg knows that this church and its people will be all right during the time that she has to be away, that we will take care of each other, that we will continue to support this church and live out its mission. What if starting today and throughout the weeks to come, we vowed to offer to each other that calm and compassionate presence with which Meg has continually blessed us? What if we do our very best to offer that kindness and loving presence to each and every person who comes through our doors? What if we break our hearts wide open and do our very best to make being present for others like this a way of life? For us. Now, I can imagine you might well be thinking, that sounds great, Chris, and what are some ways you can propose that we could actually go about doing this? It's a great question, and the answer is, I don't entirely know. I don't entirely know, because even though I spent a lot of time in seminary getting trained for and discerning how to show up as that calm, loving presence I hope to be, Sometimes I do, but sometimes I fail. I make mistakes. My own anxieties and emotion distract me sometimes. I'm imperfect at it. I'm not as good at it as Meg is. Sometimes I remember to be aware of what kind of presence I'm embodying in the checkout line at the grocery store, but sometimes I'm in a hurry and I'm distracted and I'm thinking about all the rest of the things I need to get done that day. And so sometimes, even though I may have exchanged pleasantries with the cashier, I never really made any human connection at all. I just rushed through, absorbed by my own preoccupations, failing to acknowledge their humanity. I wonder how often we do the very same thing to our family and loved ones. So here is some of what I do know. I know that we start by simply trying. We start about getting intentional about it. We think back on what happened in that checkout line and vow to be more present the next time. We count to ten or take several deep breaths or do whatever works for us and helps us to take a step back when we find ourselves feeling something less than calm and kind in reaction to what our friend at church just said. And by the way, that... Taking a step back works a whole lot better if we do it before we respond to our friend. Likewise, we reread that email message or Facebook post that we have filled with the opposite of loving kindness before we hit send or post. Maybe we even delete it and instead just send a message that says, Hey, could we get together and talk sometime soon? I fear that. Internet communications can turn us into relational cowards because we can send them from afar and thereby avoid the difficult conversations we need to be having with each other. We don't have to be present for each other, and so it's far easier to not be calm and compassionate. Here's another thing I know. I know that we have to start with ourselves And that can be the hardest part. We start by directing that sense of calmness and compassion to ourselves. 
to our whole selves, warts and imperfections and all. We forgive ourselves when we make mistakes. We forgive ourselves when we're not as kind as we aspire to be. We start over again and again, knowing that we can never be present for others in the way that we want to be until we are present for ourselves first in that same loving and kind way. Now, part of how we do that is to take care of ourselves, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We, and these require us to have some practices and some discipline. For me, learning to take care of myself better physically has made a big difference. When I feel good physically, it lifts my emotions and my spirits, too. Now, here is the really challenging part. To truly be that calm and compassionate presence in our world, we have to take risks. We have to be vulnerable. We have to love, and whenever we know love, we will also inevitably know loss. We have to embrace that uncertainty that I was talking about earlier and know that we must love others even when they may not always respond in kind. We must forgive, knowing that perhaps they are just having a terrible time of things and it may well be us having the really bad day and falling short the next time. We have to know that we'll make mistakes, we'll fail, and so we have to learn to forgive ourselves and each other and pick ourselves back up and dust ourselves off and recenter our hearts in that place of compassion and start over again and again, learning what we can each time. We have to risk our hearts being broken so that they can break wide open and love with a fierceness. This is how we help each other offer calm and loving presence. Imperfectly, forgivingly, determinedly. This is how we help each other live the most richly and the most fully. This is how we can feel as if we get to live many lives in this one precious life we have been given. The good news is, we have this church, this beloved community, where we can practice all of this with each other. We can follow Meg's example and show up for each other in the ways of kindness, compassion, and calmness. We can practice forgiving ourselves and one another when we fall short and practice bringing ourselves back into right relationship if that happens. And having practiced this loving kindness, this calm, compassionate presence together, we can all become better able to take it out into our daily lives and our world. A world that needs it pretty badly about now. Our lives are filled with uncertainty. So let us practice living and loving fully in the moment, beginning now, in this time. And in this place, I invite you all to rise in body or spirit. No, really, rise in body or spirit. <laughs> and then as you're comfortable with it, I invite you to take the hands of the people around you. You can stretch across aisleways if you need to. And feeling one another's touch, 
feeling the loving presence in this hallowed space today, I invite you to repeat after me. I'll repeat after me also so that you can follow me. On this day and in this place, we vow to walk in the ways of love together. On this day and in this place, we vow to walk in the ways of love together. We make a promise to be present for one another. We make a promise to be present for one another. To practice together the ways of calm and compassionate presence. To practice together the ways of calm and compassionate presence. To forgive and to be forgiven. To forgive and to be forgiven. To begin again and again in the days and weeks to come. To begin again and again in the days and weeks to come. For in doing so, we create this, the beloved religious community, together. For in doing so, we create this, the beloved religious community, together. In doing so, we bring healing and transformation to ourselves and to our world. In doing so, we bring healing and transformation to ourselves and to our world. And that is a good thing. Amen and blessed be. (laughs) And now please join me in saying the words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Go in peace. Go with love.